Okay. Hello and welcome to the Arden A Up podcast. This is episode five, and today's episode starts with a confession. I am not funny intentionally. It is one of the things that I've hated most about my life. I've wanted to be funny and I'm not. And I don't know why, but hopefully tonight we're going to talk about comedy in general with three people who are funny and sometimes even funny on purpose. So if you'd all introduce yourselves, please. Hi, I'm Aidan Lee Brooks. I uh, did the first podcast and I haven't made a reappearance since, but due to popular demand, I'm back. But can I just point out that by starting it saying we're funny, you're setting up everyone for a fall. So uh, I'm going to start by saying I'm not funny at all. So let's hopefully I can build from that. Okay. Um, Shall I? Shall I go now? Do I go now? Go ahead. No, you shut up. You don't ever speak. (laughs) Okay, off you go, Alan. (laughs) Hello, um, I'm Alan French, and um, and 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 yeah, I'm I'm funny sometimes. I've been paid to be funny. Um, and um, that's sometimes worked and sometimes not worked. And finally, am I allowed now? You're oh, allowed, okay. yes. Okay. Uh, Just I'm while great. Aiden's disappeared. All oh, right. Okay. Quick, he's gone. Aiden's uh, like rent a ghost. <laughs> I'm um, I'm Graham Hicks, and um, yes, I, I'm occasionally funny. Um, that's it, really. Just occasion. It's just very... Although you have retired from being funny, haven't you, Greg? Ret- I have retired. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I used to be very, very funny and hilarious, but now I'm just mildly, mildly amusing. Yeah. A lot of the time, it's not people... sustainable. It's, yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> it is difficult, Alan. A lot of the time, I just, you know, you say you can't hear a smile, and that's that's the mantra that I go from. Really. <laughs> For the most of my life. It, it obviously doesn't help that Graham's now incredibly middle-aged and depressed. I mean, I mean, it does help with some people to laugh at him now. But he's um he's retired, aren't you, mate? This is took a turn, hasn't it already? Skip <laughs> this. I mean, the, the, the for the laughing moment. with you. That's that's the bit I miss. L- yeah. Laughing at you, I've got used to. I've had to. Yeah. I mean, I thought we'd hit this stage about 30 minutes and two drinks in. But, um, you know, let, let, let's start as, as, as we mean to go on. So what we are going to be talking about tonight in general is just comedy. And it is your various careers in comedy and, uh, and uh, your personal idols and uh, favourite things that you've liked in the past. So let's start off with that first of all. What, what was your comedic career highlight? The, the funniest thing you've ever done? on stage you think uh, a physical adaptation of Macbeth was uh, probably the funniest thing that we've ever been part of isn't it Graeme unintentionally yeah um, I mean who who takes the greatest uh, English writer <laughs> and decides to take all the language away and tries to tell that physically I mean it's mental isn't I it I forgot all about that and I remember and- I never even got a part because she didn't know what to do with me so she gave, invented one, didn't she? Gave me a lycra skirt and I was fire for about <laughs> No, she she cast Graham as clown, but as we know, Macbeth doesn't have, have clown. clown. <laughs> but Graham invented clown that, that night for Shakespeare, which was just a, a sight to behold. Well, I mean, it kind of does. It has the porter, but the porter yeah. like the porter's the, the comic interlude, isn't it? In in Macbeth. Yeah, but... he didn't even he didn't even get porter, he just got I, clown. I auditioned for the Macbeth. <laughs> For, to be, you know, the tragic character 
you know, hero. And um, and yeah, and then she said, what about the porter? And I'd done the porter speech for her and she said, why don't we just put you in this lycra skirt? And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm in. And so when you say that this is a highlight, Aiden, was this an intentionally funny piece or was this an incidentally funny piece? So serious. Incidentally, we try. I think the funniest things are best when you take them very, very seriously anyway. Hence, that was what Graham and I, our honest, style was. To be honest, i the funniest moment, it wasn't even on stage, was in that <laughs> rehearsal process where I, I noticed that you could say anything to the director and she would think it was beautiful. Mm. So this is, this is when I decided I'm not involved in this performance. That's, that sounds harsh, but I, I just was like, I, this, is, this is beyond me. Um, there was Aiden and another guy called Dave and they were doing some contact impro. They were touching each other on the shoulders. And just moving back and forth, and no, it was a Joe. It was Joe. Was Joe was doing the? It was Joe and Dave. But thanks for thinking it was me. No, and I said to you, Aiden, watch this. Watch, watch now. I said, director, I won't name her. Director, um, uh, so this this image you've got here is like two two swallows, two brother swallows dancing on a lake. Even though swallows don't dance on a lake, um, just dancing on a lake. And she said, oh my god. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. That's it. Half the cast checked out at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at Aiden. I went, "That's it. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Mate. I'm not. I'm not interested. I might not be in tomorrow." Um, but you know, and it was when we were training. It was quite funny. But the 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 other the other weird moment was we had to stop our rehearsals to listen to the church bells, and we all listened to the church bells, and then we had to become the church bells just for no no apparent reason, just with the church bells for about forty five minutes. I lost two and a half weeks. <laughs> It was, uh, it, was, it was an interesting time. Yeah, it was. I'll be honest. So, uh, so I was going to say, Graham, have you got any others that you would uh, offer rather than uh, your performance as fire in a lycra skirt? Oh, my God, Graham, come on. I did. I mentioned us in the last one. You've got to be the one to bring scared, it up. I'm scared not to. Well, I mean, like as an almost for me is probably the best, best thing I've done on stage comedically. And I think that's sort of. I always mention it in class as well, and I think students are probably sick of hearing me talk about this show. But, uh, to be honest, but yeah, Legless and Armus probably. I, I, I remember there was a moment when we first, we'd worked on it for. I'm not even joking. Like nine till nine. Every single day, we went to the gym in the morning to get fit for this show. We were like, "Yes, this is it. We're tr- full training. We like boxers. We literally trained all day. Uh, you know, we had a budget of a hundred pound, and we spent it all on karaoke CDs. We didn't even use one of them in the show. We just spent it. We just were like, "Yeah, we need karaoke in the show. We're gonna put karaoke in the show. We're gonna reinvent karaoke. We never did. We never even used it once. But anyway, um, so we mimed in the end, didn't we, to a track? We, we mimed, yeah, but." Um, Cut a long story short, we trained and trained and trained and trained and trained, and uh, we we worked on this show tirelessly. And then we got this guy who, we, 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 you know, sort of a mentor to me and Aiden for a long period of time. Actually, taught me when I was very young as well, um, and I've still worked for him to that to this day. But he, uh, he his name's Alan Richardson, and he said um, he, he he came in and looked at it. We were on on the Friday. It was the first time we'd ever performed our own. It was like our debut thing. We're gonna. It's our new big thing. We were on on the Friday, and then um, he came in on the Wednesday. Was it or the Thursday morning? Something ridiculous. Yeah, it was. It was earlier in the week. Where he said, "Show me what you've got." So we showed him the show, and he just went. He never laughed once. Just watched the whole thing and just went. Let's start again. 
<laughs> and start the whole thing again. Which we shit ourselves. And so can you swear? Oh, fuck. I've done it. Oh, we edit that out. Right, okay. Yeah, so we, which we, we just completely lost our confidence and we tore the show to pieces and we, we, took the, we took the mick out of the show. And then I remember standing in the wings and we were, we were about to just go on. The house was full. Everyone wanted to see us fail. A few people wanted to see us fail. Quite a lot of few people wanted to see us fail. Wanted to see me fail because no one likes me. <laughs> they always like Graham. They always think he's the affable, nice human being, but he's the cutthroat one out of the both of us, really. Then, anyway, go on. And I just remember standing in the wings and we, I looked at it. I looked at Aiden and we looked at each other and he just mouthed the words, I'm sorry. And from across, from across the stage, we were just about, we were, I was never been so nervous and he just, he just went, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I was like, I am too. And we went out and the minute we walked out stage, the whole place fell to pieces. And, and I think it was a, a combination. And don't even know to this day why it was so funny because I think it was a combination of us actually being genuinely shit scared to be on stage and doing this clown show about these two idiots who just haven't got a clue what they're doing. And I think that sort of all fell into place. And it was sort of like, and just that moment, that first big laugh was just sort of probably the uh, something that was quite memorable, I'd say. If that's, it wasn't so much a funny moment. It was, it was addictive, I'd say. A memorable that, moment. That, that moment we got our first honest laugh with something that we'd produced, written, directed, sweated over, put everything into, basically. That moment when, when the audience took us in and took us seriously as two idiots was was addictive and, and and actually the 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 art scene changed for us there at that moment because then people wanted to work with us and people were interested in us when yeah. before people just thought we were just dickheads yeah and, and, and the what they didn't realize is that that's it's 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 the, the art of being the dickhead that, no, no, we that are makes us special dickheads. we're absolute I'm dickheads a horrible horrible dickhead yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay so this is going to be a creative edit this one um <laughs> sorry alan alan I've forgotten what the question was. <laughs> uh, your your personal comedic highlights on stage, or or anything to do with performance, like the funniest well, you've ever been. I, th I, I think I think similar to these two, the the stories that come to mind, the good stories, are the ones that where, where things didn't go so well. So I. I worked as a stand-up for quite a few years, from my late twenties to mid thirties. Um, and I kind of fell into it by accident and I was younger and braver um, and it was going all right. You know, it, it, it got to the stage where in the end I was spending all of my weekends on the M6 at two o'clock in the morning. And I think I, I think I realized, right, I'm not on the telly with this and this is as good as it gets. And I got tired of doing it, but I actually, I actually had one last terrible gig and that's when I decided to, to sort of part company with, with all of that. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was the thing that sprang to mind. I can't, I can't remember highlights. There were loads of highlights, but, but the, the low light was I, I had a, a fairly regular gig with a charity called George house trust who, um, they were a charity for men with HIV and AIDS. And my stand-up was quite gay. Um, like, um, I used to sort of play a character that wasn't quite drag, but anyway, anyway. Um, and this particular night, it all just went really badly. Because, because I, 
you know, paradoxically, um, like a lot of people who do comedy, I'm actually quite shy. And so I used to always wear a costume. And I think I think I felt insecure because I'm not quirky and I'm not northern and I'm not all those things that you're supposed to be if you're funny. So I used to kind of get dressed up. And this particular night, I'd been booked at, um, for this charity gig. And it was a slightly different audience than one I was used to. It was a lot of, it was a lot, well, it was all gay men. And they were, they were kind of wearing fetish gear. You know, there were lots of um, bums hanging out of um, leather chaps. And the whole atmosphere was a little bit weird and aggressive. And I think they had basically taken their drugs and wanted to dance and what they didn't want was a cabaret it was it was just a bad booking and it shouldn't have happened so I stood on the stage wearing a wearing a a, a 70s Elvis Vegas outfit um, with a really weak mention of why I was wearing that and there was this horrible mix-up and they thought I was the stripper so I, I started my routine and they, and they started shouting off, off, off. And I thought they were kind of booing me off. <laughs> off with your clothes. Um, I completely misunderstood. And, uh, oh, and by the time I caught up with it all, it was all really awkward and I dried horribly. And then I made some inappropriate remarks Oh, the, the whole thing was just, was an utter disaster. And, um, that was the last time I did stand-up comedy on my own. And then I teamed up with um, a guy, I won't, in fact, I won't mention his name, um, but we did a double act for a while and that was really successful. And we, it was a sort of character-based comedy thing. That went really well until, this is the truth, until one day I found out he'd moved to Edinburgh without telling me um, and had blocked me like, um, and the last I heard, it sounds like a punchline, but it's absolutely true. The last I heard, he was going out as a Susan Boyle impersonator. <laughs> Alan, you've just reminded me, um, and sorry to um, let this section drone on a bit. But oh, no, no, go ahead. Gra Graham and I did um, a, a bit of a corporate gig for, was it Eon, Graham? I forgot who it's it was. was. Who was it? No, no, not the hotel one, the other one. The one for the health and safety. EDF energy. E EDF, right. And we we turned up with this really twee kind of naff piece of... Sketch comedy. Yes, kitsch kind of sketch comedy. Um, and talk about bad bookings. brilliant, by the way. I was brilliant. Oh, we, we, we were just... Oh, gr yeah, well, well, I'll come to that in a minute. But firstly, the guy talked... It was a health and safety conference for all these workies, so very serious men working in very serious jobs. Uh, and the this guy got up and he was like a master of ceremonies. And he said, oh, it'll be clear when you, you're coming on because I'll literally introduce you as the comedy. Uh, and we were like, great. So we're waiting in the wings of this, it was a hotel um, a hotel uh, reception area, basically, wasn't it, Graham? Yeah. Uh, a hotel. Well, I had my own dressing room, you were in there. Yeah, I, I, was, I was out with the, with the locals. And, um, <laughs> and he said, for about five, 10 minutes just before we came on, they had a memorial for a guy that had died. In a lift shaft. In a lift shaft. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, let's all spend a minute just remembering Alan for, and it's not Alan, but because I'm looking at Alan. Alan. Let's, oh. let's remember Bruce. Uh, he was a lovely fella. And, uh, and after the minute, he literally just went, 
and now the comedy. <laughs> it's it's literally like that episode of The Simpsons, isn't it? When oh. uh, when Homer does stand up, <laughs> and and they say um, uh, Smithers comes out on stage first and says, um, "Before we carry on, there, just so you know, a small dog, not unlike Lassie, has just been run over in the car park." <laughs> and now get ready for the comedy stylings of. Yeah, and yeah. what was even better, right, was that I mean everyone was literally poor faced. They, they were, were crying. Just, people were crying. There were people crying because they knew this guy, and and we were like trying to do this really broad, like, oh, where's me gigs? Oh, God, I've got no. The, Joe Shipman was in it, and he had he had nineteen pairs of glasses on his person. He decided this character trait of his sketch was he was going to keep. Oh, where's me readers and all this, and it was just died on its ass. But afterwards, the guy, the head of the conference, came backstage and went. Straight through the cast to Graham and just went, you were brilliant. You were absolutely brilliant. You, you were brilliant. And we were like, yeah, yeah we get it. And he was like, no, you don't get it. You don't, he was brilliant. Him, him, the big lad. Him, he was, and we were just all stood around going, oh, all right, mate, yeah, thanks. I had one line. I only had he was, he, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. He had one line and he delivered it with a pathos. Thank you. That you've never these, these, these are the best stories because that, that just reminded me. It wasn't necessarily a comedy thing, but I was switching on the Christmas lights in Southport when I was in <laughs> years ago. And, just in um, your living room or? And, and, and there I was, dressed as an ugly sister, going, um, um, all right then, kids, let's have a happy song. Um, so here it is. Oh, hang on a minute. And this this woman had pushed to the front of the stage and she went, um, excuse me, I've lost my little girl. And we all went, oh, um, what, what what does she look like? Um, she's wearing a pink, uh, she's wearing a pink puffer jacket. And she's like, and so suddenly we were dealing with this. And we come from, here it is, Merry Christmas. The child turned up and she was safe. But, um, had you wrapped her in a present? Was it part of some sort of raffle that you had going on at Southport? <laughs> I don't know because you know what? I wasn't. I, I wasn't maybe as sober as I could have been for such a responsible. <laughs> but all I do remember is that I was standing next to a, a, a very a random Nolan sister. I don't even know why she was there because she one wasn't on the show. But um, yeah, suddenly there was this kind of missing child thing. It's always that. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> So moving on, um, I just want to talk now maybe about your own personal idols, I suppose, or people who comedically you've looked up to. And I think I know at least who one of one of them is going to be. I mean, for me, I'll, I'll throw mine in there for a start. My all-time favourite is still Alexi Sale. Legend. Um, Scouse, communist, has evolved over time, if you listen to his new stuff, it's not like his old stuff. Mm -hmm. He's still as off the wall, he's still as crackers as he always was, but he's just dropped the tone of it a little bit. And in, and <clears throat> normally we do a kind of a recommendation thing. If anybody ever gets a chance, have a listen to Alexis Sale's Imaginary Sandwich Bar. Which was yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, it's Radio 4 series. So who anybody for um, idols or heroes? Or... Just a note on Alexis Sale. I think he's got an incredible knack of being ahead of the curve mm. before it can be um, sellable even. That's how ahead he is. Like, if you think about when he came through, yeah. uh, that anarchic brand of humour that then brought through Rick and, and, and Aidan, all that kind mm. of, um, that alternative comedy that now has become mainstream again. You know, now that we look at we look at that kind of humour as kind of the norm now, 
But you've got to remember at that time in the 80s, it was still mother-in-law jokes, weren't it? It was still the the fellas in the pub, the the the, the not the racist comedians, but because they weren't all racist, of course, but it was more accepted on the on the comedy circuit, wasn't it? Certainly at that time. And then when they came through, it was like kicking down a door and going, that's not the only humour. There's tons of other stuff. There's anti-humour, there's anarchic, there's this surreal, there's, you know, and, and he definitely was um, uh, a leader in that, wasn't he, Alexei? He's amazing, yeah. I mean, I, again, I can recommend, <clears throat> if anybody hasn't read it, read uh, his second part of his memoir, which is called Thatcher Stole My Trousers, I think. Um, and he goes on about the alternative comedy scene in the 80s and just some of the acts that, the, that, that were around is just, you, you can't even imagine putting stuff like that on stage now. I mean, I, I think, you know, the nature of comedy is an interesting one to get to at a later date. But um, Alexis Sale, yeah, that's probably mine. So uh, who, anybody else? I'm, me, I'm a huge... Oh, sorry, Graham. That's um, all right, Alan. Uh, comedy hero, right? Um, maybe most of the people listening to this won't, won't know who I'm talking about. Um, I'm, I, I'm a, just a huge fan of Barry Cryer. Oh. I think... What, what I love about Barry Cryer is nothing that man doesn't know about comedy. Um, and he's, he's 86. I Googled it today. <laughs> he's 86 and he's still current. I mean, he's, a, he, he's just a, a, a brilliant gagsmith. He's a wordsmith. But he, un, he understands comedy and he understands the rules. And he's never got stuck in a rut, you know? So he can talk about the two Ronnies or Les Dawson and they're both heroes of mine as well. Um, but equally, he's really on board with the anarchic stuff, the stuff that the comedy store players were doing. You know, um, you just mentioned Rick Mayle and, you know, you think about shows like, um, like The Young Ones um, and, you know, all the way through, you know, Barry Cryer just has this kind of, forensic almost scientific understanding of comedy um he's geeky about it and so am i and yeah so so he's he's a massive hero <clears throat> i mean i i've always i got an appreciation of barry cryer from listening to i'm sorry i haven't a clue because he's been on that for what 50 years 60 years yeah, maybe? something like that he, ridiculous amounts of time and he's still on it now i mean obviously in the pandemic they've not been recording but he's he's he was still doing it up to a couple of years ago and just his delivery and yeah yeah just oh uh, yeah and the running joke he had with humphrey littleton on that 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 barry cryer was a drunk and they kept this running gag going for it must be 20 25 years and and could always find a new angle like you know um his face looked as miserable as barry as barry's does when somebody rips the ring pulls off his lunch <laughs> just 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 lines like that you know i was walking home from the pub and someone stood on my hands <laughs> <laughs> just very very funny guy no barry cryer absolute legend and again Yes, you're right. People may not have heard of Barry Cryer, but one of the things that I think is good for something like this is we say, go and seek these people out because they might not have even, they wouldn't have probably heard of Alexis Sale either. But it's some good people to to look at. Um, Graham Aiden, how about you? 
I mean, for me, I mean, yes, just on the piggybacking on what you're just saying, it's they, they formed the next generation and, the, you know, and also jokes are jokes. Do you know what I mean? They, they, yeah. still, they still follow the same formula. It's just about, you know, I, I, when I'm teaching stand up and I, I sort of talk to the, to the students and I said, you've got all these different rules and stuff like that. I was like, you treat it like chords from a, like, like music and how you put it back together is up to you. And that's your creative license and that's what makes stand-up com- comedy um, stand-up comedians different than other stand-up comedians it's about how they piece the thing together the rhythm together the punchline the anti-punchline how they move it around the long rule of three how they play around with all these rules and, and recalls and things like that you know is, is down to that sort of thing so you know someone like barry Cryer is just you know obviously a ultimate ultimate sort of comedian um and he's a comedian's comedian i'd say as well in that in that sense you know so you know but for me game changer um for me was i realized i mean i always use comedy as a defense mechanism growing up in birkenhead because you have to you have to have something to sort of keep yourself sort of alive and well so i use i i found a very early age if i was could make people laugh particularly the hard ones and the particularly ones that were volume my head in um they 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 took me under their wing and that you know i found that out quite quick and 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 that i used that all my life and um still do that's why you know sort of make paul brought and laugh and things like that you know it's kind of just keeps me safe um but um but yeah in 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 general uh, i remember watching it was a, a teacher she put me on to esther wilson a uh, great writer, actually. She put me on to, she said, have you heard of Bill Hicks? And I was like, no, I've never heard of Bill Hicks at all. I have no idea who he is. I was like 16-year-old lad. I didn't have a clue who Bill Hicks was like, here, here's this DVD. Go go look at Bill Hicks. And I was like, okay, sure. Game changer. It just absolutely, I just <clears> couldn't <throat> believe you could be so aggressive, so on button, so current. At the time I was watching it, it was, we'd just gone to war in Iraq. Uh, the Twin Towers thing is just happening. And even though that was nothing to do with when he performed his comedy, which was also 10, 10 years prior to mm-hmm. that, it, it was, I was like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm like, That's, how's he done that? It's, not, it's 10 years down the line. It's like, it's not even close to, you know, when, you know, so he, and, and, and he just changed the game for me completely about how to deliver comedy and how to sort of, you can, you can provoke an audience and how you can sort of go at an audience and be sort of that sort of anarchic, that, that aggressive comedian and that's something i always admired and obviously he's a bit he's a very very edu- well educated man and very good preacher in his comedy as well but oh yeah yeah he he could have been um if he'd wanted to be he could have been a priest absolutely you know, know. he, 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 he could have that sort of a charismatic before yeah see that's the worry i always have with him people say oh if bill hicks was here i think he'd have gone full q on I think he may have may, may well have gone because yeah. he was one of those who saw conspiracies and everything, wasn't he? And yeah. So I, I think he would have probably gone. Maybe he has. <clears throat> I mean, maybe he's not dead. You know? Yeah. Who knows? Exactly. But yeah. What was he? Thirty-four when he died? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Ridiculously. I mean, young. he smoked heavily, 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 heavily. But he quit. He'd quit. Yeah. He'd quit when he died. It was he was uh, pancreatic cancer that killed yeah. him at the end showed me a new side of comedy you know i i I, and then i always seeked things like chris morris brass eye and all these sort of really sort of political sort of edgy sort of satirists and things like that and i always loved them like charlie brooker and then and obviously i'm a massive fan of Stuart lee and uh, you know he's for me the 
probably the most technically gifted, clever comedian I think that's actually around currently. And it's so funny because I play both of these comedians to my students, and, and they like none of no one likes them. They, no one likes them at all, and I find it really odd because I just like I, even when we break it down, I was like, just see what he's done technically there, what he's done. He's repeated the same joke forty-two times just to make him, and, and he gets a laugh every single time. Like, but he's repeated the same joke constantly throughout the whole another another comedian who's at he's ahead of the curve he's he's a meta modern comedian and he's and the way he's working now will be popular in 10 years i guarantee it and people will look back at him and they'll say oh my god he was doing that then and we can say yeah we were telling you so you're still on Stuart lee there Stuart yeah, sorry lee. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Stuart lee, so sorry away from bill hicks but yeah i mean that's what i'm saying that brought me to people like Stuart lee because i was always looking for that sort of that edge that where someone where actually questions the audience then the, the you know depicts the audience then separates them and conquers them and then says well this joke you'll laugh at this joke because you're from a certain class and you won't laugh at this joke so you won't get this at all because you're working class but mm. i'll tell you why you won't laugh at this joke and then i'll explain what bit you will laugh at because of your class and i think that's unbelievable like to stand on stage and tell people when they're gonna laugh is unbelievable just to pick up on a couple of ones that Graham said, yeah, Chris Morris, uh, uh, Charlie Brooker and, and Stuart Lee, just as modern comedians are incredible. Um, so I won't, I won't cover them, but I like some of the older stuff, sort of like Morecambe and Wise here and oh, Tommy yeah. Cooper and all that kind of stuff. And there's a definite clear path into, into the other stuff that I kind of like, um, which is... I'd, I'd categorise as forces of nature. Um, so someone like Robin Williams and Lee Evans, uh, even Johnny Vegas, these people that, and Billy Connolly, these people um, that just come onto the stage and just bring an energy with them. And it doesn't necessarily matter what they're saying. They just, the clown's present, their energy's there, and they want you to come along for the ride. And they're, they're a little bit unhinged at the same time. Like, they do things that you just think, I... I, I can't imagine that you've planned that and maybe they have you know like people like ross noble who just come on and just talk utter shite for hours but but they're just you can't keep they're like a train wreck sometimes aren't they you can't stop watching ken it's ken dodd as well just it, it kills you it kills you with just as length of his jokes <laughs> can we also because i've realized we've, we've been a bit male heavy um, yeah we have we have i just I thought that. Yeah. i'm in the middle of reading victoria wood's authorized i was just about to say victoria wood and um, you know, Victoria Wood, I'm about halfway through her biography and what's coming across loud and clear is that she was um, difficult to work with and painfully shy and, and, and not always pleasant, but she understood the, you know, the stuff we've been talking about, the, the, the rhythmic thing, the, the, the music of comedy, like... You know, like it—it it was, it was just absolute genius. And you know, when you read that, and I've read quite a few comics biogs, um, that the one thing that we all have in common is that we all had, didn't we, when we were at school, we all had peppered across our school reports, could spend more time working and less time being the class clown, because we were all um, misfits. That's what we were, and that's how we got round the bullying and everything else, and. You know, reading it from a from a female perspective, it's the the reason I love female comics. I'm a massive French and Saunders fan, both of them respectively and as a double act. 
But what's interesting about female comedy, particularly stand-up and, and sketch writing, is that um, they do self-deprecation in a way that no one else does. Women are so good at it. They're so good at going, this is what we're like. Aren't we a bunch of twats sometimes? You know, whether, whether they're talking about sex or relationships or whatever. Um, yeah, Victoria Wood, extraordinary yeah. woman, extraordinary. Just on the, the female thing as well, because actually, as you said that, I felt terrible that I haven't. And then I did, literally, I two, <laughs> literally two names popped into my head straight away. Nina Conti was one of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just think she's an absolute genius in what she does. And um, God bless her, Carolina Hearn as well. Um, in fact, she was she was at the same uni as me, but many years before me. And there was lots of stories that still existed around her from when she was there. She left such an impression. Um, and obviously, she's no longer with us. But but, uh, um, but as a stand-up, as a writer, yeah, as a, 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 as a character <laughs> inventor, Mrs. yeah, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Merton, yeah, to, yeah. to to do that, uh, to to have a framework in which she can ridicule the interviewee without ever offending them. So instantly putting them oh, in a I place don't of, know. I, I can't get offended. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure David no, no, McGee but, would agree. What I mean by that is, <laughs> what, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Will. Um, the, the, the Debbie McGee line was, it's just there for brilliant. everything. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. what first attracted what, what, you to your millionaire husband, Paul Daniels? <laughs> and of course, you know, we can't really get away from the fact that we are four whites. Yeah. I'm, I'm 40 next week. I can say middle-aged men. Um, yeah. And I'm bringing everybody else along with me on that. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, black and uh, BAME comics. Um, I mean, I'm thinking somebody like Richard Awardy, for example, whose delivery I've always found hilarious, who's made a virtue out of pretending to not be very charismatic. If you watch him on things like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and, and stuff like that, he's absolutely yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but anybody else, anybody like that? Yeah, I absolutely loved growing up listening to, and it was a little bit naughty because obviously of the content that he used to, to produce was Richard Pryor. Uh, and what I loved about his performance style was how earnest it was and how honest and you never you know like a good performer you never for a second doubted that everything he said was true and do you know what I don't even know if it was I've never I've never read any biographies I've never researched him in any way but I'll tell you now I believe everything he says and he had such a tragic upbringing if it's oh, true God, what yeah. he said but he managed to take that negativity and he managed to put a spin on it to the point where he said to the audience look look at this and look at me and it's not as well, maybe not. It's obviously horrific what happened, but he's found a way to to, to uh, work through that kind of stuff. Go on, Graham. Sorry. I just, no, and just say in saying that when I was when I got you know put onto sort of Bill Hicks and stuff like that, he was sort of another sort of character, sort of guy who sort of was put on my radar. And then, I love I love this stand up where he's literally performing to a, a massive room full of um, I forget what it's called. It's actually is is. Um, is the DVD of the set, and he, he's uh, he's standing in front of a predominantly just in fact all white audience, and he's basically just doing his set in in his in his style as from from where he's grew up from his from his streets from his hoods which he talks about and his um and, and he talks about race and he talks about um how racist white people have been to him and he's standing there talking to a room full 
of middle class white people and he does little middle class voices and it's it's really it's really bold and it's really of its time obviously but it's really um it, it takes guts that to kind of go on stage and basically mock an audience anyway but he's mocking an audience in the 70s when the r- racial hatred was really bad uh, at that time and i thought it was really interesting that he could just stand on stage and mock a, a demographic and a and a, and a sort of a, a race um for uh, an ethnicity for you know basically um all the problems he's had growing up in his life <laughs> which is hilarious and he's standing there saying and you're all paying me to be here and i'm making money and you've come to see me i'm the main event you're not the you know i'm not some sort of little warm-up i'm the main event you're all here to see me so sit down shut up and i'm going to tell you some stuff and i just think it's great you know that's bold it's brassy um, but yeah, I think I think you know just to piggyback on what you, you were saying there. Okay, Alan. Well, I'm um, you know I was talking about female comics earlier on. As I was talking about Victoria Wood. Um, I'm a massive fan of um, Gina Yashere. She just again, she just nails it. It's it's self-deprecating but powerful at the same time. Um, yeah. And my, my understanding is that she's she's moved away from the UK because she doesn't feel understood or, or respected in this country. Um, and she's happier in the US. This is true. This is I've, I've, I've seen I've seen a, an interview with her talking about this. this yeah. And, you know, she's carved a career. She really carved a career at, at a time as well. In what was it, nineties? Would she say she first come on? Well, yeah, nineties and mid nineties. I think she started, didn't she? So, well, also, you know, let's let's not forget. Um, goodness gracious me, um, how groundbreaking that was! Um, you know, uh, going out for an English didn't that just make us all go, "Oh God, we are wankers when we go out for a curry." Yeah, that actually was just a brilliant piece of satire you know um i want to order the blandest thing on the menu <laughs> yeah i'm mispronouncing the waiter's name and uh... yeah couldn't get his name right yeah. um, well, james well, i think no, he was called james, yeah. and, 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 jams. And, and they're going <laughs> yeah that's what i said james yeah um <laughs> all right we want 25 of these bread rolls <laughs> Do you not think you've ordered too much? Don't you dare tell me I want. But it, it really yeah. does start paving a way for it opens the door up for you know uh, comedians to then to take the stage. You know you've got Nish um, Nish Kumar it? on the, the Mashapur. Yeah, and things like that. Obviously, that was a long time ago, but it sort of opens that door to kind of go, okay, look, okay, here we are, and here's here's. Um, a platform to sort of to 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 sort of perform in as well. Um, I'm trying to think of this. Who's the Iranian guy? There's an Iranian guy. Uh, Omid Jalili. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Omid Jalili. Yeah, brilliant guy. Yeah. He's fr- he's born and bred in London. In also a West End star. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. fantastic performer. Hollywood movies and all sorts. But you know, he puts on that Iranian accent because it was funny. And he says, "I put on that accent because it was funny, and it got more laughs by being this." dippy Iranian sort of like, oh, I don't know what I'm saying kind of character. Per- perfect example of, of the, the subject of the joke actually 
the mirror being held up to us. It, who's it funnier to? It's funny to our ignorance. That's who it's funnier to. But he's exploited that for his own benefit. It's very clever. It's really clever. He's brilliant. We haven't mentioned yet who I absolutely adore, Sasha Baron Cohen as well. Like he, his framework in which that he's the idiot in the scene, but through his idiocy, he exposes people's um, complexities, doesn't it? And sometimes then right. complexities are, are are a little bit darker than than we would maybe like to admit. Mm. And there's a lot of people out there that he meets that clearly make the film because they're the biggest idiots that he meets. And instead of just accepting this game that he's playing with you, the people that fight against it are the ones that end up in it because they're the ones that expose their own neurosis, don't they? Um, which... I, mean, I mean, kind of going back to Chris Morris there as well, because, and this is probably a good time to maybe start moving into the last bit, because what I do want to talk about a bit is what do we think is wrong with comedy in 2021 or what do you think are the challenges for comedy in 2021? Now, I went back and watched uh, some old Chris Morris stuff. And the dominant narrative that you'll generally hear people talking about with comedy is, oh, you can't say X anymore, or you can't say Y anymore. Now, it's not one I personally completely agree with, because I think, yes, you probably can't punch down as violently as you once could, but at the same time, some of the subjects that are now open for comedy wouldn't have been open for comedy 20, 30, 40 years ago. But what I thought was quite interesting about um, Chris Morris is if you go and back and watch even the day today, which is a much tamer yeah. proposition than Brass Eye, you wouldn't be able to get, I don't think, anything so overtly political onto a mainstream television programme now. And, and not in a sense of political of... Because it's not spitting image. Spitting image is... is is as establishment as it is, you know, it's so gentle, it's not true. But something like the day-to-day and Brass Eye, which just ridiculed the subjects so violently. I don't know what you think. Go on, Aidan. I disagree. I think it's just become more camouflaged. Charlie Brooker's Weekly Wipe was an absolute um, uh, deconstruction of, of the absurdity of our, of our leaders in action, and, and not just the leaders, sorry, decisions that are made in the public forum. And they released that. Um, have you seen the, the film on uh, Netflix that Charlie Brooker directed? Yeah. That, that to me, is, is exactly what you're discussing there. And, and, and another thing to say as well is it depends on the quality of the writing. Because mm. if you look at a lot of Gervais's work, he manages, and certainly when he worked with Stephen Merchant, they managed to embed some really <laughs> taboo issues in their work, but because of the quality of it, it gets softened somehow and people don't get as angry and annoyed. And I find that really interesting. Do you not think though, I mean, I don't know if anybody saw the Chris Morris interview he did about a year or two ago, where he talked about people being court jesters, where he says that quite a lot of comedy now that sets itself up as being political or against the establishment isn't because it never goes over the line. Ricky Gervais is, is a is a really good example of this for me. That he's so anarchic and you know cuts really close to the bone, but he keeps getting invited back to do the Golden Globes and the Oscars every time. He, he never goes too far. And someone like Chris Morris just completely dropped out of it because he doesn't have a line. 
I think Gervais does go too far, but the two. Once but he, does, he, but if he, he went, got, he got far. in under the. But he got in under the radar, and then he dropped them. Like the last Golden Globes he did. I mean, he's basically standing there saying, "You all enabled that person that we can't name on this podcast because of probably lawyers and things." But you know who I'm talking about, and he got to say that on a on a worldwide. So lawyers forum. and things. Yeah, you know, Graham. <laughs> You're going to get sued. You're going to get sued. <laughs> what? Sorry, so go on, Alan. You you were going to come in on this as well. Well, I was I was trying to figure out how to how to word this because it's difficult. Um, you know, you said on the you know on the brief the kind of things we talk about, and I worry that we're the comedy is being forced into being sanitized. Oh, right. How do I phrase this? Um, I think that satire is a really, really important way of making a point. Um, you know, um, everybody's nodding on the screen at the moment because we all know what I'm talking about. It's it, Satire's job is to make people go, <laughs> oh shit, I'm a bit like that. And with a lot of important movements that have happened, you know, uh, relatively recently, um, we do have to question, you know, the, the, there is no place in this world for the the Bernard Mannings and 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 the um, Jim Davidsons, of course. But we can't throw. I think, and I'm being brave here, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So when you look at something like an episode of Little Britain, where David Walliams is wearing a latex costume impersonating a black woman, totally wrong absolutely wrong wrong because blacking up is never acceptable it's never funny but secondly because it's just lazy oh i just swore then so you're probably gonna cut that out it's just lazy it's not comedy you know the gag relies on the costume and that's what i think's wrong with and, ra- and racial stereotypes which is where the laziness comes from yeah and there's, yeah. And, there's and there's a lot and there's a lot of that in in what sneaks into um mainstream humor because the people that choose the humor don't know what's funny anymore i don't think in mainstream by the way because i saw the question that we were going to go on to talk about which we're kind of talking about now is yeah what's wrong what's wrong with comedy now which annoyed me for when i first read it because i thought well there's nothing wrong with comedy ever it's what's selected that's wrong with comedy. It's not what's wrong with comedy. What's Where... wrong with comedy? What's wrong with comedy ever? And it it it, it was ever thus is laziness. Exactly. Yeah. And, and sometimes you know people that that started out brilliantly, and when they were starving and when they were writing and and working yeah. their asses yeah. off, they they get success and they get a ton of money thrown at them, and then they they do get lazy. You know, um, I, I referenced French and Saunders earlier on. Their early series were were just brilliant, and then they start their shows ended up being really expensive um, movie spoofs, and that was it. And you, I was, you know, I was watching, going, "You've just made the same point over and over and over again." You know that that's not really a gag. That's that's all about production values. So yeah, for me, it's for me, it's laziness. And I don't think that's what's wrong with comedy now. I think it always has been. Stanley Baxter, when I was a kid, before you were born, probably, um, Stanley Baxter's specials relied on his big budget 
movie spoofs. They weren't funny. It was like, oh, look at Stanley Baxter wearing a dress pretending to be Shirley MacLaine in, in, that, uh, in that film. Um, yeah, l- laziness. But, but what's wrong with uh, comedy now is I don't know if we know where the line is with satire. I think we're a bit scared in a way that we never used to be. Can I make a suggestion? Yeah. I don't think, well, for a start, I think that the people who think satire has ever made a difference are the people who write satire. Um, I think, wasn't it Peter Cook said when he opened the establishment in the 1960s, I want to create a venue for satire because it's really important to our political discourse. Look at all the good work it did in uh, Weimar, uh, Germany, preventing Nazism. Um, And if you look at the 80s, you know, you had uh, Harry Enfield doing characters like loads of money. But then that ended up punching down and almost got appropriated by the people who were being lampooned. The 90s, John Bird and John Fortune. Yeah, politicians are kind of a bit corrupt. Who, who knew? Uh, the 2000s, 2010s, the thick of it, really well written and really well performed. But again, gets appropriated by the people who it is meant to be satirising, where you have Ed Miliband in the Houses of Parliament saying, oh, it's an omni-shambles budget or something like that. I think in the current world and with the politicians that we have now and the public figures that we have now, they are unsatirizable. Do you know why? Because they're... Sorry, sorry, because they're, they're satirizing themselves. Like we're, we're living in a time where life is so crazy right now. No one knew Donald Trump would be president of the United it's, States. How do you no sa- how do you satirize Boris Johnson? It's too crazy. It's everything's <laughs> too crazy right now. But what what what's happening with comedy is it, it, it comedy always breaks the taboo. Comedy mm. moves forward and comedy goes. There'll be someone new and there'll be someone fresh who comes out and goes. Here's what I think about shit. Here's what I think about life. Here's what I think about. Um, here's my ideology of it and we've been looking at this we've been taking life very seriously for a little moment and that's great but now we're gonna we're gonna laugh at that and and it takes just one person just to move that movement again forward and move it and that's what satire does as well satire very carefully goes i'm gonna pierce through that little film of whatever that is and i'm gonna say what about this have you thought about this oh we're not all like that or we're not all them or we are like you and I think that's what it does. And then it just pops back again. And then it, people go, oh, you can't say that now. And it, it'll just keep doing that forever and forever. Trends, isn't it? It's trends, it's cycles. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, just before I speak, I, you look really desperate. Go. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Do I look desperate? Um, no, you were like this. Just, just, just going back to, to, to Will's point. Um, it's it, it was ever thus, you know. Um, Alf Garnet. You know that character. I, yeah, was a was a was a satirical take on that type of person, and, wasn't it? And, and unfortunately, the National Front took him on as as a hero. So, <laughs> we're, featuring, we're, I, I always like to remind people this. Sorry, when uh, Alf Garnet comes up, Tony Blair's father-in-law was Alf Garnet's daughter's boyfriend in Till Death Is Do uh, Till Death Is Do Part. Oh right, Tony Tony Booth, the Scouse actor, yeah. Sherry Blair's dad, and he's yeah. in t- Till Death Is Do Part. Nice. Sorry, you, you know what I'm like with trivia. But also, but, but also, and this is in the 70s. Also, Rising Damp. You know, yeah. the Philip character was um, the superior character, and 
that's all kind of, you know, in the midst of time, that's all become, oh, are we allowed to show that anymore? Um, As opposed to Love Thy Neighbour, which is just out and out racist. Absolutely. (laughs) But but it was showing a fragment of what, a reflection, a mirror of what was going on with people in society. And that's what good comedy does, isn't it? It holds a mirror up to to our behaviours. And I think it's really interesting. My favourite thing that I've ever learned about comedy uh, which any students listening to this who are in my lessons will roll their eyes um, right now. But John Wright's book, uh, Why Is That So Funny? It's my Bible. And I, and if you haven't read it, read it. It's unbelievable. But right at the beginning of that, uh, he talks about a neuroscientist whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce because it's incredibly long. Um, but he basically said that uh, human comedy is an evolutionary tool that was developed to signal the all clear and we are the only human, we are the only animals on the planet that have humour because of our brain. And I've always had this um, thing, you know, this thing that we've been talking about all through this podcast of uh, a defence mechanism, a way of fitting in, a way of deflecting bad things. You could make those people laugh to stop them bullying you or stop them hurting you. That it all ties into this idea that satirists as well now can only... Can only create something that the public consciousness will accept because it's we're giving them the all clear essentially so if you make if someone laughs at something it's because it's okay nobody's been hurt when people stop laughing it's because the subject of the joke becomes um a victim rather than a subject so the joke always has to be on the comedian as soon as you make the joke about someone else it becomes something other so that idea that that uh, it's an evolutionary thing to signal the all clear is perfect in this situation. It's perfect to what we're talking about now. It's really interesting that we've got there, actually. It was what, it, but it, but that that to me has always been rule one of comedy, and I think a lot of people forget it when they start talking about and like when Alan was talking about Little Britain before. To me, and I'm not the professional comedian in this discussion. I'm the nerd. Um, but I'm nerdy too. I think we're all a bit nerdy. Whoa! I'm yeah. Gone. Yeah. yeah Graham, okay. Graham, Graham, what's your bra size? Graham's cool. Graham, with your with your baseball cap and your weird headset, <laughs> he's the biggest nerd, isn't he? Um, but on Apple Watch, comedy should always punch up. It should never punch down. Yeah, and that's where I think a lot of comedy gets it wrong. So if you are from a relatively privileged privileged group punching down at a less privileged group, that is not comedy. It's for me. It's where you, it, 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 any joke is is possible. Any joke is possible. It just depends on who you are, what you are, what what your agenda is, and how you deliver it. And that's all it is, really. And it's, it's the framework, isn't it? It's the framework in which you sit the joke and who the target of the joke is. That's the important thing. It's not what the joke is. It's who you're lampooning. That's the important part, isn't it? Mm. You could you could tell you could tell a joke. That, that is incredibly offensive as long as you're the idiot telling it, not the person that the joke's about. Well, yeah, Billy Connolly always says, he says, like, if you're going to talk about sex and you're the one who's having sex, you're not the best in the room, you're the worst in the room. And, and that is always Billy Connolly's jokes when he talks yeah. to, I mean, you know, can we get away with this? Yeah, because it's quite a clean joke where he has a joke where he says that he always found it a really good um, method for sex to say the nine times table 
while 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 he was having sex. And then the punchline is, I got to eighty-one once. Yeah. <laughs> can I? Can and that's I just... exactly what you mean, isn't it, Graham? You know, he's the he's the idiot in that joke. Can he leads you just... down a path, and then he's the. Yeah. You, you believe, oh, this is you know, and any take the, the 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 you know the punchline is that he's the worst person. Yeah, can I just say as well, another comedian that does that fantastically, and it was through the nineties in his sitcom Seinfeld, and then when he did Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David. Yeah, there's there's actual footage of him out there in the world of him in real instances where you think, is this an episode of Curb? But because he's the only idiot, the 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 biggest idiot in his own life. They literally, it feels like a, they literally just point the camera at him and say, get yourself into stupid situations. But he's always the butt of the joke. And no matter how offensive the show gets, you know, in one episode, he writes a, a, a memorial for his aunt, but he puts a C instead of the A. I was just going to say. That's incredibly offensive. But because he's the idiot that did it, well, actually, it's the, it's the printer that did it, not even him. But he's the fool that made that happen, isn't it? We can laugh at that because he's the fool. And it's not, the reason why Mr. Bean is such a massively popular show all across the whole of the So world. glad you've mentioned Ron Atkinson because that man know, is a genius. Love it or hate it, he's the biggest idiot and, and everything always yeah. happens to him even though he's trying his best to pull one over on someone in a park or yeah. trying to get a faster speed, someone at some traffic lights or, you know, get... <laughs> what's, what's great about Mr. Bean and um, it's, it's, it's also like um, Peter Sellers doing Clouseau and... Yeah like um jack tatty um they actually come out on top those characters yeah so th- th- that's what's so lovely about them i'm not um uh, i'm not a massive fan of clowning like i i yeah. I, I, I respect charlie chaplin but i it it doesn't work for me but physical comedy they're in the same territory um you know, um, Rowan Atkinson, whether he's doing uh, Mr. Bean or Johnny English, what's great about those characters is that they actually play high status. Yeah, really high. And I suppose yeah. that, that that is clowning, really, isn't it? I can't uh, believe yeah. you've just slagged off clowning with two clowns. <laughs> and you've just slagged off the, the father of clowning, Charlie Chaplin. You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, like I said, I respect it, but I sort of sit there and go... Yeah, I respect it. It doesn't matter. By the way, I'm being facetious. Obviously, it's comedy subjective. But you like is, what you like, don't you? But 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 it is. Um, I mean, Rowan Atkinson is in that tradition. It's 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 physical comedy. Um, it it just is, and it's the well, it is clowning in it in a sense because the fool ends up being the high status character. You wouldn't laugh at that at the at the slapstick unless the clown was present. You can't. I've seen a routine where someone technically has got it absolutely spot on and I didn't laugh once. It was an old student actually and I didn't laugh once. And then afterwards people were talking about it raving and I went, it wasn't funny to me because they never engaged with me. They never brought me in. They just did the technical moves. He was an Yeah, they were were basically a dance. It was a dance routine without the presence. And if you don't have the presence there, how am I meant to, on a human well, level, connect with you? But, but with comedy, stand-up comedy lives in the present. So does clown. They all comedies like that. They all live. It's it panto. Any physical comedy, any sort of live comedy, it lives in the present. It has to live in the present. Any good 
any good versions of all those things that you've said. Yeah, because but they we have can... to live in the present. They have to they resemble. Yeah, to they succeed. Have... Yeah, no, I'm agreeing with you. But I, because I was going to say, you know, when you asked that question, Will, about, about what's wrong with comedy now, mm-hmm. it's a very loaded and leading it, question. It's a, it's a very provocative question, I'll grant you. But I think that the stand-up market is gone past the point of saturation now. I can't stand stand-up at the moment. You know, just talking about clown, I'm getting my own back on Alan now. No, uh, I I can't stand it because so many average comedians get through now because it's so um, it's such a popular art form that I see has, so has many. Has it also become very gentrified as well? Yeah, I think yes, so. I agree. I mean, I I I I don't know. I interviewed Angela Barnes, a com- a female comedian, for the first years. She's BBC. Yeah, no, Angela yeah. yeah, she's. Yeah, she's uh, well, I interviewed her last week, actually. We I don't know her, but I know of her. Yeah. Oh, we, we do. We do well. Oh yes. <laughs> we were talking about you know what's it like to be a female in comedy and that, and you know she she's very very you know she's saying look it's changing the world's changing but at the moment you know if you look at a panel show there's one female seat and six six male seats and she said that's what you're up against you know all the time you know what when was the last time you saw a panel of six female comics you know it's mm. very rare that you'll see something like that on mock of the week or whatever you know so she said like you know it is changing and it's starting to become like oh maybe there's two female and if you and if you do comics. if you do see that as well they, they make a big fanfare about it and it needs to become the norm doesn't it that it's both genders it's multi-ethnicity it needs to become the norm instead of going oh look us that we great we've got six female comedians on no it should be the norm that we have you know but they don't have that yet we, we're no, not of course, yet. And, and, but, that, and i think the problem with 2021 is, is there isn't actually a problem it's just that every the game the game's changed you know, yeah. people far more interested in TikTok than they are watching TV right now. You but know, I was, no but I was actually going to say, but I was actually going to say that is the future of comedy then? Yeah. Not yeah. panel shows on the BBC, but on TikTok, yeah. on Twitter, on yeah. YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. We're, than... get, we're getting back into the the meta modern stuff I was talking about earlier. TikTok appropriates things that already exist. And redefines them for a modern audience, don't they? So, almost like a neo, almost like a neo Dadaist. Yeah, way and of it's, going at uh, it, and, and repackaging and, it for a. Yeah, and it's instantaneous as well. You can literally go, "I don't like that." Tra, I don't like that. Tra. So even as a viewer, where we're consuming things a different way, aren't we? Look at Netflix. I can watch an entire series in a day. You know, that's why I'm loving Disney Plus at the minute. By the way, I'm not trying to get. I'm working for them as well. By the way. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> But I, that's why I love that they decided to release their programs once a week because it's given me something to to look forward to rather than go, I'll watch it all on a weekend or I'll watch it all of an evening. And you know what I mean? And- I mean, essentially, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a I think there's going to be a new push because I think with the pandemic, everything's been reset. And mm. I say to a lot of people who are studying comedy or training, wanting to be comedians, it's like you've got a really great opportunity now to sort of break a breaker market which is sort of been stopped basically and you can reset that but with like tiktok you've got basically your own gong show haven't you you can just yeah. gong someone off by swiping exactly up swiping it, up yeah. straight away which was what aiden's saying so mm-hmm. to keep someone occupied for a minute you only get a minute you know and get them invested in that video to like it and get 10 seconds 10 seconds in it viral likes that you know then are monetary then you can yeah. make money from that you know mm-hmm. Once you hit millions, you start making money off it. It is yeah. 
is probably the future, actually. And I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand how it works, to be honest. <laughs> a lot of the students have been saying that, Graham. This is actually not a podcast. It's an intervention. A lot right. of the students have said that they really, really think that you should learn how to use your drafts. All right. <laughs> right, okay. I think I'm going to start bringing it to a close there because I think we've been pushing to about an hour. But there's loads of things we could have talked about and we could still continue to talk about in future as well you know is there a class element to this is there a... i think we need to I, I think we need another um another session on this will because i think everybody... I, I think we do right. I, I think we do or, or maybe we just uh, wait until the beer gardens are, are open <laughs> and, then and then we'll just we'll do it there's, off there's, off record <laughs> there's definitely subcategories in this comedy absolutely such a broad spectrum isn't it we need to i think we need to hone in on on a particular area and, and study that more i think well what, I what, think... what we've said with the podcast is is that we we're not just going to deal with things in one episode we will return to these at a later date yeah. or we will yeah. react to current events and things Perfect. like that so we can come back to this at a later time or with a different panel or with more well, people, i think or... i think will you probably just need more of me if anything <laughs> just, you know, i think that's what it is where it lies really Okay, so um, yeah, let's let's bring it to a close there for now, and we will pick this up at a later date. So thank you all very much for listening. Uh, we are now um, available. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Are we on Patreon yet, or something? We're or... not on Patreon yet. We are on Spotify. When we're are on... we? Oh, we're, we're on Spotify. On... Wow. We're on Spotify. We're on Breaker. We're not on iTunes yet. That's the only way I go. I'm not corporate, yet. mate. I'm massively um, corporate. Hang, hang on a second. I'll get the list up. Uh, we are on. Alan just wants another glass of wine. I think. It's the... No, my wine's all here. I'm, I'm... <laughs> it's good to go. He's thinking about his examinations tomorrow. That's what's happening now. I'm thinking about the probing. <laughs> There will be no problem. <laughs> this is this is just about whether I'm allergic to penicillin or not, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just inject you with penicillin. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And if you don't die, he's not allergic to it. Oh, that's all right. So, it's like we the are... witch. I've got to take my own lunch because um they um Oh you poor dear. <laughs> well, no. Um I've got to wear a mask all day. Oh, oh. Be injected with penicillin. First world props. <laughs> anyway, I was saying we are on Spotify. We on we are on Radio Public. We're on Pocket Casts. We're on Google Podcasts. Nice. We're on Breaker and we're on Anchor. Why so, are we on uh, iTunes? Uh, we could yeah. be, but we could be, but I've not worked out how to do it yet. All right. Y you have to ask Apple to talk, put it on. Talk to Chris McIlvenny, one of our ex-students. He's got a brilliant I, I podcast. I know Chris McIlvenny. I supervised his NRP a couple of years ago. Um, there you well, go. I've been on his podcast recently. Just give myself a plug now. Well, <laughs> who's this for? Just for you. Oh, this is just for me, this? Yeah, this is just sending easy oh, birthday right. present, mate. Let oh, birthday right. present. Happy birthday, me. <laughs> and join your Taurus. We can't talk about that. So let, 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 let me finish this off. So yes, we are available on multiple platforms now. Uh, if you have any ideas for any future episodes, please uh, let us know on Instagram. We are on Instagram as well, on Arden A Up. 
Um, if you have any ideas, but other than that, thank you very much for listening. About podcasts or just generally? In general, <laughs> anything at all. I yeah, knew that actually getting off Monkey tennis. We didn't even mention Steve Coogan. Monkey tennis. <laughs> right, okay. I've got a feeling this has been part one of many <laughs> on comedy. So thank you very much for listening. Bro. We're not having comedy. Again, comedy. Come on, Alan, do it. Comedy. Do it, do it Alan. Oh, oh, comedy. <laughs> 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 <laughs>